0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. We're going to be this morning in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Title of the sermon is A Simple Question What Good Is It? We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. They call it a driveway moment. Perhaps you haven't heard of that. They call it driveway listening. Even if, you haven't heard of the concept, even if you haven't heard the term, you'll understand the concept. They call it a driveway moment, meaning that you're driving home in your car and you're listening to the radio or you're listening to a podcast on your phone through your Bluetooth or whatever, and what you are listening to is so compelling that when you get to your driveway, you don't get out of the car. You want, to, you want to hear how the song ends. You want to see if it's a podcast, if they catch the bad guy. This is what the producers and the authors of all of these sort of radio programs and podcasts are going for. They're going for that driveway moment where what they say is so compelling or so shocking or so outrageous or so, I can't believe he said that, that you stay there to listen through to the end. I have finally realized that that's James. He is the most outrageous, punchy, compelling radio broadcaster or podcast author of them all. I mean, the the most successful ones where on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever, what drives the likes is some outrageous take that everyone tells everyone else. Can you believe he said that? Can you believe what you see in this video? Look at it, look at it, look at it. This is basically James. James does this over and over. In verse 14 of our text, he's going to make an outrageous claim Like, you say this, but that's patently garbage, he says. And then in verse 19, he's going to make such a sarcastic put-down that he kind of says, you know the demons with the forked tongues and the spiky tails? They're in better shape than you are. James is very punchy, and he gives us a lot of those driveway moments. So we look together at James chapter 2, verse 14, I'll read down on through verse 20. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without That faith, apart from works, is useless. In order to understand this provocative driveway moment kind of passage, we simply have to nail down in our interpretation several elements of it. The first thing we have to nail down to understand this provocative passage is the, the audience to whom is James speaking. And he says in James chapter two, verse 14, what good is it? my brothers. He says the same thing in verse one of the same chapter. My brothers show no partiality. He says the same thing in verse five, adding the superlative beloved. Listen, my beloved brothers, he says in verse five. And he's gonna say the same thing in chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. His audience is the people who are in the church. When James says to everybody who's assembled in the church, my brothers, he's not making a definitive, declarative statement that I know for a fact that everyone here is born again and has genuine faith. He's just saying, hey, everybody who is assembled in the church, so you at least have some connection to the family of God. He uses that term, my brothers, to mean everyone who's here listening to me speak. When a pastor up front preaches to the people who are assembled, the only persons to whom the preacher can speak are those persons who are assembled. I can't speak to the people that aren't here. I can only speak to the people that are here. Sometimes you wonder, well, maybe you're one of the people who's here, but you're not really here mentally. Well, that's between you and your caffeine level. That's not my problem. You have to show up ready to go. I've got my game face on. But when he says, my brothers, he's saying, everyone who is assembled in the church. James is here contrasting church members with church members the important thing to recognize is that James is not contrasting those who are here with those who never come to church. That's the important thing to distinguish here. He's not contrasting those who are in the church with those who never come to church. James is contrasting those church members who profess faith with those church members who profess faith. Only some church members who profess faith have a faith that is credible and visible and actual. And some church members who profess faith have a faith that is professed but is neither credible nor visible nor actual. That's the first help in understanding this passage. That's the key. The contrast is not between believers who say they are believers and unbelievers who say they are unbelievers, That would give us no, like, huh? It wouldn't be provocative to contrast believers who are believers with unbelievers who say they're unbelievers. What makes this passage provocative is we're contrasting believers who say they are believers and have a true faith with a type of believer so-called who professes faith but does not possess a real, genuine faith. To understand this provocative sort of driveway moment kind of passage, we have to nail down what the, what the construction and the contrast is right there in verse 14. When he asks the question, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The, verse 14 ends with a five-word question. It doesn't say, can faith save him? That would be a four-word question. It ends with a five. It specifies what kind of faith. It says, can that faith save him. So if we understand the construction of the sentence, that will guide us away from misinterpreting this passage. It begins with making a claim. If someone says he has faith, they make the claim, I have faith. They make the statement, I have faith. And the sentence, what the sentence indicates is this, if that statement is true, then that would be great. That would be good. It would be good if you say you have faith and you really do have faith. But what the sentence indicates is, it will be no good if you make that claim, but that claim has no cash value. It isn't actually credible. And so you see in the sentence, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but, and then immediately with that contrast if but, We have the whether that statement is valid or invalid, whether that claim has cash value or doesn't have cash value. And the way that we see it is but does not have works. The statement can be assessed by looking for actions. The assessment is in the actions or the lack thereof. And we, we will be guarded from a misinterpretation of, that pa- of this passage if we really understand the simple word that in that, the last five-word question. Can that faith save him? James is not here speaking of faith qua faith. James is speaking of faith and that faith. This faith and that Faith false faith, and true faith. Faith without works, faith with works. So the saving nature of faith, the saving power of faith is not denied by James. James has a, a very robust understanding of the importance and the power of faith in Jesus Christ. Actually, in James chapter 2, verse 5, It says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? It's as if James is saying there of all the gifts that God gives his children, one such gift would be a bank account, but an even greater gift than a bank account would be the gift of being rich in faith. In the very beginning of the book, James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There at the very outset of the book, James says faith is so valuable that when faith is tested and strengthened, everything in your life works. If faith is tested and failed, nothing in your life will work. That's what he's saying. James is not down on the importance of faith. James is up on the importance of faith. What James is down with is that faith. Can that faith save him? The that faith being the faith without works. So when it comes to faith, let me me show you the two primary dangers or the two primary deceptions. The two largest dangers about faith. First, faith has to be placed in something. So the first danger is placing your faith in the wrong something. That's the first danger. Faith has to be in something. So the first danger is placing your faith in the wrong something. The Bible speaks of those who put their faith in wealth. Psalm 49, those who trust in their wealth will not be saved in the day of calamity. Proverbs 11, verse 28, those who trust in money will fall, but the godly will always flourish like a green leaf on a thriving tree. The Bible says that you can place your faith in money and if you do, you're in bad, bad shape. The Bible also says that you could place your faith in people and politicians and princes. Listen to Psalm 146. This is a great Psalm. I'm gonna read the whole thing. Psalm 146 says you can put your faith in earthly princes. Psalm 146 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes. Put not your trust in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, all of his plans perish with him. Blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves righteousness. The Lord watches over the sojourners and upholds the widow and the orphan, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your praise, O God, be. To- To all generations, praise the Lord. Psalm 146 says how foolish it is to put your faith in earthly princes. You put your faith in money, you put your faith in earthly princes. There's a third, this is not an exhaustive list, but the third most common one probably is placing faith in your own mind and your own plans. Placing faith in your own mind and your own plans. You all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's everybody's favorite verse to say that it is their favorite verse, but it's nobody's favorite verse to actually live. Because to live this verse, you'd have to say no to your favorite person in the world, which is you, and you have a problem with that. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs 3, verses five through eight. And Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six, mark this down, beloved. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. But he who heeds wisdom will be delivered. You can place your faith in your own mind, or you can place your faith in the revelation of God Almighty. The one makes you a fool, the other makes you wise. The first danger is having true faith in a false object. Two dangers, two deceptions. The first danger is having true faith in a false object, the second danger is having false faith in the true object. That's what James is getting at here. The second danger is having false faith, that faith, verse 14, that faith, false faith in the true object. And this, we find this throughout the gospels. I'm not going to turn there and read it, but I'll just paraphrase it. In John chapter 2, Jesus does the first of his signs and all the people start being impressed by them. And it actually says that the crowds begin to believe in him or have faith in him. And it says in John chapter two, Jesus did not entrust himself to those who were beginning to believe in him because he knew what was in their hearts and it wasn't true faith. Says the same thing in even more direct language in John chapter eight. Jesus speaks a mighty sermon And then it says, says, Jesus said, to those who had believed in him, it says in John 8, Jesus says, to those who had believed in him, you are of your father, the devil. You need to repent, Jesus says, and believe in me. That crowd had that faith from James chapter 2, verse 14. Their faith so-called, was going toward the true object, Jesus, but it was false faith. These are the two dangers, true faith in the false object, false faith in the true object. Last uh, weekend, I went to the shooting range with a friend of mine, and what do I know about guns? Answer, nothing. So... <laughs> When, when he first started showing me the gun, he had dummy bullets in the gun. I'm not personally insulted by that. I own my dumminess. But he was showing me how to load the, what do you call that thing? Book? Magazine? Yeah, I don't like magazines. I like books. But anyways, <laughs> uh, how to load the magazine, how to turn the safety off. And it was dummy bullets while we were doing that. Why? Because if it was real bullets while he was showing me how to do that, the odds are about 50-50 that I would shoot off my own toe or my friend's shin bone. So we did it with the dummy bullets and learn how to do it. I'm pointing at the true object. But if it's dummy bullets in the gun, we had to take out the magazine that had the dummy bullets and put in the one with the real bullets. So I was pointing at the true object with true bullets. The faith that saves is faith that is pointed at the true object, and it is true faith. It's not that faith, which is faith without works. It's not demon faith, verse 19. It's true faith. So what is faith? Well, it might take us a couple of weeks to to get a working definition of faith from this passage, uh, Dictionary of New Testament words defines faith, of Bibli- the Greek word pistuo, as believe, be persuaded of, hence to place confidence in. The word signifies, in this sense, reliance upon, not mere mental credence. That's a good definition of, of this real faith or saving faith. It's personal reliance upon, not mere mental credence. In other words, there's a faith that is a mental nod toward the true object. It's a mental nod toward the true object, but it's not personal commitment to the true object. Genuine faith is personal entrustment that goes beyond merely saying into showing in the life. And that's exactly what James is going to say in verses 15 and 16. Faith is personal entrustment that goes beyond mere saying and is shown in the reality of life. So, with that set up, we can, we can understand this provocative passage by understanding the point of the picture in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is speaking about faith that is that faith with no works And faith that is genuine faith. And the faith that is that faith with no works is just talk. The faith that is true faith doesn't just say be warm and be filled, but unrolls a blanket and places it around your shoulders and takes a hot meal and gives it to you. We have the joy of supporting the Food for the Soul ministry in downtown Racine. Uh, Lisa here in our office was just telling me they're, they're, they're not getting uh, the, s- the same amount of food that they normally get and their need for the food is greater. So there's always an opportunity for us as a church to help come alongside them. Just call our office and ask Lisa if you want to help with that. We are, every week we collect for a different food bank and actually giving uh, tangible food to those who need it is a wonderful, it's a wonderful way to demonstrate the reality of our faith. The claim here... That's made in verses, uh, the claim that's made in verse 14 is I have faith. But the picture in verse 15 and 16 is saying be warm and be filled, but it's only words. If you say you have faith, that faith is invisible until I see a blanket or a hot meal. The positive claim has to be tested by do we see it or not. The person in verse 15 is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food. Part of my testimony is that I've never lacked in daily food. I've been on a couple of mission trips where we were in remote places, and all they had to eat, forgive me, was like one gross thing. So I went to bed hungry, but even then I could have eaten that one thing, you know. I've been able to preach the gospel in villages where you, it wasn't meat and bread and vegetables and dessert. They had like one kind of vegetable, that's it. But I've never lacked my daily food, and most of y'all haven't, though some of you probably maybe have. I've never lacked a, a coat in the winter time. That's the situation that's hitting this person in verse 15. They're cold, and they're hungry. And the person who says i'm a christian i have faith comes along and says be warm and be filled and they talk and no action so this gets at it the poor person will not thank you for your pious sounding words and wishes if they are left hungry The poor person will not thank you for your pious sounding words and wishes if they are left hungry. God in heaven will not thank you for your pious sounding words of I have faith if you don't listen to God and do what he says. That's the point. The cold person will not thank you for your pious sounding words if you leave them with no blanket and no jacket. God will not thank you for your pious-sounding words, I have faith, if you don't listen to God and do what God says. That's what he's saying here. And I just, can we just point this out together and go, wow, the Bible is so magnificently unspiritual here. Wow. We can't just sing poetic hymns and say, God this, and Jesus that, and angels this, and the world is passing away. We can't stay in some sort of spiritual stratosphere. Either the hungry person eats, or she doesn't. Either the cold man gets a blanket, or he does not. The Bible is magnificently unspiritual here, because it will not do for a spirituality that is poems, And pious, that doesn't make a difference on the earth. To understand this provocative passage, we're helped away from a false interpretation by understanding together, James isn't saying to be saved, you need to have faith and a lot of good works, and then you'll get saved. It's not a matter of faith plus works. It's a matter of what is faith and what is that faith. That faith is a pious word that has no activity to it. But faith, as God defines faith, is faith that not only hears what God says and not only says, God, you're God, and I believe what you say, but personally entrusts myself to now live out and live in and live around what God has said. The bare expression be warm, be filled is insufficient for someone who needs real food and needs real warmth. Saying I wish that hungry person had enough to eat or saying man I've said this as pastor in this congregation I know one of you is very lonely and hurting. There've been times when I said I wish that lonely person had love. Well, dummy. Pick up the phone and call them. Love them. Just saying, I wish that lonely person had love is not enough for the lonely person. You need to reach out to them with your voice, with your love. Words and wishes are not enough. They must be expressed in concrete commitments. This is the very definition of faith. Faith that is true faith in the true object is faith in God that hears what God has said and walks in the way that God has commanded us to walk. That's what it means that faith works. It's fascinating to me, the the Bible, I just, there's nothing more rewarding than paying close attention to the text of scripture. You'll never regret it. There's There's a marvelous kind of, literary inclusio here, or kind of a tie back, a bow in the passage, because he says in verse 15, uh, that that giving clothing and shelter, and then so verses 15 to 17 have a literary tie to, to Rahab in verse 25, who receives the Israelites, and she shelters them, and she feeds them. And you can't miss the literary parallel between verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, and verse 26, so also the body apart from the spirit is dead. Those are meant to be read together. The way that your current senior pastor preaches, it may take us eight months to get to verse 26, but it's meant to be a literary tie to verse 17 y'all tell me to preach faster, and I just say, be warm and be filled. Uh, <laughs> what do I care? <laughs> so let's, um, let's bring this, you know, right into your, uh, your, your Sunday afternoon, your Monday morning, your time with the Lord tonight, tomorrow morning. To ask the question, is my faith real? Do I have true faith in the true object. I guess it would help to say, you know, is faith, is my faith uh, my human work, even to begin with? That's probably the foundational question. Is faith a human work? I can say yes. Faith is a human work in the sense that you believing is something you need to do. But I can also say, no, faith is not a human work because it is human in that you do it, but it's not a work because saving faith to be a believer in Jesus is by its very definition to to depend on the fact that all the work has been done by Jesus. Faith is a human work in that it's something that human beings have to do. But it is not a human work because faith itself is relying on the work of another. That's what saving faith is. Maybe the best little glimpse at this is that dad in Mark 9. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if your child would constantly throw himself into the fire? or not knowing how to swim, your child would constantly throw himself into the water. How horrifying that would be every day of your life. This demonically oppressed little child and the dad who's desperate comes to Jesus and says, help me. And then he says, I believe. Oh, help my unbelief. Faith is human work in the sense that you have to say, I believe, but it is not a human work in the sense that immediately you have to say, help my unbelief. I believe, I know that my believing is not enough. I know essentially when I come to Jesus, I say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I know that it's only possible for me to believe in you if you help me believe in you. Faith is only possible with the help of the one who is himself the object of our faith. Believing is what we do, but it's not a work because faith is only possible by the agency and activity of the one in whom we place our faith. That's what makes it faith. That's what what glorifies God's sovereignty in our salvation. We can't boast of our faith Because our faith itself is dependent on the activity and the agency of the God in whom we place our faith. Because he is God and we need him for every breath, every heartbeat, and every uh, measurement of our faith. Personally, have you relied on God that way to say that your faith is real? So you ask yourself the question, is my faith real? Maybe we could get at it this way. True story. This week, I was driving down Spring Street from my house to my office. Did you know that the speed limit on Spring Street is 50? Not 15, you annoying slow drivers. 50, five, zero. The speed limit, let the record state, the speed limit on Spring Street is 50 miles per hour. And I, an extremely busy, important senior pastor, was stuck behind someone who was going 24 miles an hour. And so, being a man of prayer, I said, Lord, I'm not praying for you to curse them and all of their children. I'm sure that's what Darren would do if he was here, but I am not like him, Lord. I am me. I am an important, busy senior pastor with many holy things to do. So God, just don't judge this person. Just get them to move. And their blinker turned on. Click, 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 click. They had a chance to turn. Didn't turn. Click, 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 click. Had another chance to turn. Didn't turn. Click, 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 click. Third chance to turn. They didn't turn. I realized they have their blinker on, but they have no intention of turning. James says, that blinker, that faith. You're called a brother. You've, you have come here and said, I am in Christ Jesus. I don't see you listening to Jesus. I don't, I don't see you so loved by Jesus that you love others in return. I don't, I don't see that. That's what he's getting at. Don't miss that in this heavy context of obedience, the law that we obey is called right up there in verse 12 and right up there in verse 8, the law of liberty and the law of love. This is not some sort of religious, moral arm-twisting, I'm not going to believe you're really a Christian until you make this, this, and that change. This is... This is, this is the reality of saying, if you have true faith in the true object of faith, the, the Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ is so lovely and so beautiful and so perfect that y- you have become a person who now says, hey, whatever Jesus says about sex That's what I want and believe. Whatever Jesus says about money, that's what I want and believe. Whatever Jesus says about the tongue, James chapter 3, and my speech, that's what I want and believe. You're transformed from the inside out so that this is not stapling good works outside of an empty profession, but this is fruit and the law of liberty now showing in the way you are liberated from trusting in your own mind and your own will and your own flesh and by the presence of the Spirit of God within you, now you gloriously run in the way of liberty. True faith is nothing less than believing and this is so simple. True faith is nothing less than believing I am who God says I am. And this world is what God in his word says that it is. And living like that, this is true faith. Anything else is just words that are good for nothing. Let's pray. As we bow for prayer, let me guide you for a moment in prayer. Lord Jesus, help me even now, in these 90 seconds of prayer, to be a faithful shepherd and not mislead or misdiagnose any of your precious lambs. As you bow for prayer, if you're able, say, Lord, I believe. But oh, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. My spirit, my heart is drawn and attracted to what was shared this morning. Oh, but I know, Lord, that I need your help. Say, Lord, I'm I'm not trusting in me. I'm done with that. Lord, I'm trusting in Jesus. Jesus, hear your children as they pray. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us. Love us still. Love us in this moment by granting us faith and hope and love in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.